early voting has begun and there's a turnout surge in Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you are just listening to the Politically Georgia podcast for the first time, welcome. And don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. We are on the campaign trail all over again after a weekend of debates. We've had debates in Savannah Friday, a no-show Herschel Walker debate on Sunday at the Atlanta Press Club, and of course, the Camp Abrams Hazel debates on Monday at the Atlanta Press Club. There's also a number of down ticket debates you can find coverage on from AJC.com. Very important debates. You can also watch it at GPB. They'll, they'll all be archived. And the next major debate we have on our calendar is going to be right before the election, the Sunday before the election. WSB will host a debate between Governor Kemp, Stacey Abrams, and without Shane Hazel. So uh, say goodbye to him for now. He'll be on the ballot. You might not hear as much from him in the next couple of days, but that will be a one-on-one head-to-head debate between the two candidates. Yeah, I think it'll be good to get a one-on-one debate between the two candidates. Um, As much as I support the concept of third-party candidates and libertarians in debates, Shane Hazel on Monday night was so in your face. It it felt like it really got the flow of that debate off course several times. He was interrupting the other candidates. He would not let Donna Lowry finish her questions. He at one point said, I'm not, we're not going to be ignored or kept out of this. And she's like, you're literally on the stage in the middle of the stage. So I think that, um, yes. And I think we're, and he got a lot, he got a lot of time, got a lot of time. So I think we're moving into the phase where for voters who are really looking to drill down into these candidates, hear from them about their proposals, their visions for the future, and really kind of just get to a reason to get to yes, to go out and vote for one of these two candidates, that debate will be very, very valuable. We've got a great show for you today to lead up to all the fun of the last few weeks of election. We will talk about turnout nearing presidential levels. We're going to hear from our Washington insider, Jamie Dupree, and we'll talk about what's next for these top ticket campaigns This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. One of the bigger surprises, I think, at least for me, was the huge turnout in early voting. Monday marked the first day of the three-week early voting period. I expect the turnout to be high, but the levels that we're reaching here in Georgia are nearing presidential levels. We still don't have, obviously, we don't have Tuesdays. We're taping this on Tuesday. We don't have the second day of early voting turnout, but 
just the the rush of attention, the early energy towards casting their ballots. It shows that this election, you know, that the campaign ads, despite all the exhaustion over campaigns and all the frustration with TV ads and all the like, there's a tremendous energy out there that could change the calculus for a lot of these campaigns. Yeah, there's tons of energy. There's also just tons of earned media as well, meaning there is just an enormous amount of national news that is covering all of these Georgia races as well. So if you listen to the New York Times podcast, The Daily, you heard all about Stacey Abrams. If you listen to their weekend podcast, that was about Georgia as well. Um, Politico had a huge piece, a huge takeout on the Georgia race over the weekend as well. Um, The New York Times has a gigantic magazine piece coming up this Sunday about Marjorie Taylor Greene and her rising influence. So if you live in Georgia, you are not going to miss news about this race, either from the AJC or from any of the national news outlets uh, that you're following, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. I mean, we all get asked to go on those newscasts all the time as well. And it's always about these races, the Senate race and the governor's race are just two huge marquee races. Um, One of them could determine control of the U.S. Senate, of course. And then the other one is just this incredibly high profile rematch between Stacey Abrams and Governor Brian Kemp. And obviously, both campaigns have also put a ton of resources into educating voters about early voting, Mm -hmm. telling them when, where, how to do it. So despite the concerns among Democrats that this would be much harder to vote absentee or vote early, they're also making sure that their voters know how to do it and when to do it and encouraging them to do it as soon as possible. Yeah. And early voting in Georgia tends to benefit Democrats. Um, Republicans tend to vote more on election day. We'll see how that shakes out this election cycle. A lot of voter patterns have obviously changed since the pandemic as well, when so many voters relied on early votes on mail-in ballots rather than voting on election day. We know that Stacey Abrams' campaign has really shifted its focus, its energy towards encouraging early votes. They want to bank as many votes as they can, as early as they can, because you don't know what the weather will be like on election day. You don't know what emergencies come up, issues come up, right? Um, Long lines at the ballot boxes, technical errors, issues that plagued the 2018 election that surfaced in the 2020 election. Democrats in particular are really shifting a lot of their energy to encouraging that early vote. Republicans are, of course, as well. They want to bank as many votes as well, but they hope they can just basically hold their own against Democrats during this early voting period. There'll be a lot of analysis. You're going to hear a lot in the next few weeks about models that show Democrats are ahead or that Republicans are holding their own, all that. And we don't know. They're not They're not relying on any data of the actual votes. It's not like the votes are being tallied and, and, and promoted right now. What they're using, though, is they're using data that shows whether or not these voters used to, you know, previously voted in Democratic or Republican primaries. They're using demographic data, racial data, age data, all those to create models that show basically that try to predict whether or not the early voting uh, is, is at levels that Democrats want them to be at or behind. Because Democrats, again, should be winning the early vote. But how far ahead are they? And are a lot of voters banking, a lot of voters who might vote later on in the cycle, are they voting right now? Yes. So the news that popped out at me on Monday, which was the first day of early voting, is just how many people were talking about 123,000 and some change. Uh, Georgians voted early. That's almost twice as many as voted early on the first day in 2018. So that's just a gigantic surge 
for a midterm election. It's not quite as much as the 2020 early vote, but 2020 also, keep in mind, was a pandemic. So just an extremely unusual time for people to be making calculations. So if I go today, there won't be as many people online as on election day. So I think 2020 will always be the anomaly out there. But then in terms of who exactly is voting, the Secretary of State's office does collect at least demographic data. We know from the Secretary of State's office that about 39% of the early voters were Black voters, which is higher than their 29% um, portion of the vote. So for Democrats, you'd have to think that they're happy with that number. Um, About 49% of the early voters were white and Hispanic and Asians made up about 1% and the rest uh, did not report their demographic data. But I would say especially that number of black voters being so much larger than the share of overall voters is good news for Democrats because they've really focused a ton of their effort on turning out the black vote. Now, it has not been in all of our polls showing that the black vote is as completely concentrated for Democrats as it has been in the past. But if they can get out the voters who are supporting them, those are the ones who are presumably getting their messages, they've got to be happy with that data that came in on Monday. Yeah, and and this is in tandem with a, a huge increase in voter turnout efforts from not just the candidates themselves, the campaigns, but outside groups in particular. Abrams backers are really energizing, really focusing on getting uh, voters of color out to the polls, as you mentioned, because she's had lagging support in these polls and taking new efforts. And we'll see whether these early voting figures unnerve Republicans or whether they're expected over the next few days, few weeks. Again, it's not an easy science because even, you know, even though we have near record turnout, record midtown turnout for this first day, you could see a turnout lag by the end because a lot of people who might vote next Thursday are voting today or yesterday in this case. So we'll see. But either way, it validates what we've all been talking about, which is there's a tremendous amount of intention in these elections. A lot of people too, they just want to get it done with, right? Voting early means you'll be bothered a lot less. <laughs> it means it might take a is few days. Is that true? They st- do they stop texting you once you vote? I mean, it's not a, it's not absolute, but after a few days, you know, it shows that you're off the books, right? It shows that you're no okay. longer in play. And it might take a few days for your record to kind of update in there in all the different systems, but it's one less address, it's one less name, it's one less household for the different campaigns to go bug. And, you know, they're not just knocking on every door, right? They don't have the resources really to do that around the state. What they're doing is when they're canvassing, they have sophisticated data that show if you're a Democrat, they show that you're a likely Democratic voter, that you voted in the last three Democratic primaries, and wait, you haven't cast your ballot yet. And same thing with the Republicans. And then as you get even deeper into this, as you have more resources, you have the resources also to go after independent voters or folks who have ignored the last few elections. But the lowest hanging fruit are those voters who vote reliably in primaries and in November elections. And those are the first voters to get really targeted with mail and with door knockers and with all the like. Yeah, there are two dynamics that are new in this election that I will be really interested to see how it plays out. The first are those 1.6 million new registered voters since 2018. That is such a huge universe of new voters that these campaigns need to reach out to, need to educate, need to motivate. A lot of those new voters were just automatically registered when they got their driver's license when they moved to Georgia or when they automatically uh, registered when they turned 18. And so they've got to really find those voters, motivate them, and then educate them about how to vote early in Georgia because they've not done that before. The second piece of it is the 
I think, new emphasis from Republicans on the ground game and on turning out that early vote. Kelly Loeffler, a name familiar to anybody listening to this podcast, ever since she lost her Senate race, has really focused on developing a turnout operation, developing a ground game for Republicans that right now is being flipped on for the current batch of Republican candidates. Could that be for a future Kelly Leffler run? We really don't know. But it's a millions of dollars, <laughs> millions of dollars on the ground that weren't there before. And something that Brian Kemp said in his debate on Monday night, I found so interesting. He was talking about lessons learned from 2020. I kind of thought he was talking about Donald Trump for a half second. But what he was really talking about was his feeling that Democrats totally outplayed Republicans in the field. And they would look around and see how incredibly outmanned Republican staff and volunteers were around the state compared to Democratic staff and volunteers, especially during that period between the general election and the runoff election. So that seemed to be a bit of a wake up call for Republicans as well. They lost those races. They would like to win these races. And that's a big area of investment that they have really changed this time around as well. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk to Jamie Dupree about the early voting surge, and we'll also talk about what's next in these campaigns. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. We're two of the political insiders at the AJC, and we're two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, we have so much news in the jolt these days too. You know, it feels like our third or fourth item can be its own separate story. So it's a bounty. It's it's nothing we're complaining about. But we have some interesting new polling data out for you this morning, particularly honing in on voters of color, Hispanic voters in particular. So stay tuned for that. That will be right up near the top. But you're so right. We typically will be thinking the afternoon before what's going to be our lead item for the jolt. And I mean, it has not been unusual that something will happen at nine o'clock the night at the night before that is the new lead item of the jolt. Um, top two or three or four could be lead items. And then inevitably, once we hit publish around 730 in the morning, I'm like, oh, we there's so much, more, you know, there's something else I forgot. You know, I'll have to put it in the next days because it's just it's just that time of year. It is that time of year. There is no fluff in that jolt right now. And uh, as, a, as a sort of glimpse into the inner workings of the jolt, as we were driving home, as we left the debate last night, we both had missions to go monitor 
the Herschel Walker town hall on Sean Hannity's show, which was at 9 p.m. So the debate ends at 8 p.m. We do a podcast right afterwards. We drive home at nine. You're listening to that. Um, we also had a follow-up with Stacey Abrams' campaign about a key point of the debate that we added into the jolt. And of course, there are so many other items. I had an interview with Kevin McCarthy, the, the potentially future Republican House Speaker, about his interest in Georgia. So all that is in Tuesday's jolt. Okay, we have a special treat for you. A special segment today with AJC Washington insider, Jamie Dupree. Few reporters have covered Washington longer than Jamie, including his decades at WSB Radio. However, Jamie lost his ability to speak a few years ago, and Cox Enterprises, our parent company, invested in voice synthesis technology that allowed Jamie to get back on the radio then and join us on the podcast now. So because of that, we want to start using Jamie to dig deeper into what's going on in Washington and how it affects Georgia. Jamie, we've already seen big early voting turnout in the state. What do you think that tells national Democrats and Republicans about this battleground? Well, Greg, a lot of people up here in Washington will be watching those early vote numbers very closely in Georgia because it certainly can give us some insight into how motivated the voters are for the November elections. The fact that turnout on the first day was almost what it was in a presidential election year tells me that we will see a very active final three weeks. Democrats, of course, are hoping for a repeat in Georgia of what we saw in several states over the past few months in a series of special elections where a lot more women voters showed up at the polls because of the issue of abortion in the aftermath of this summer's Supreme Court ruling. So, Jamie, we know how the election is going here, but how is Georgia being seen nationally right now, do you think? I think much of political Washington is probably just expecting Georgia's U.S. Senate race to be in a December runoff between Herschel Walker and Senator Warnock. I guess the governor's race could be a runoff as well, but I just feel like it's more likely to be the Senate race. If we look back at the polls in 2020, they were pretty much on target in the Senate races in Georgia, which makes me think that Walker is probably running a few points behind Governor Kemp right now. Remember, in the aftermath of the 2020 elections, it was Georgia voters who who handed control of the U.S. Senate over to Democrats in a pair of Senate runoff elections. And so Georgia may be the center of the political universe once again this election year. I agree with you, Jamie. Uh, I think we're definitely going to be the center of political universe going forward. And I do also think we're heading to a runoff in the Senate race. One of the challenges for Stacey Abrams is, as Jamie said, Patricia, is that Herschel Walker is running behind Governor Kemp, and that she is running behind Democratic colleague, Senator Raphael Warnock. And even as she you know, says the polls aren't accurate and they're looking at a, is a snapshot of, of not an appropriate snapshot of Georgia's electorate, at the same time, these polls also show her running behind her Democratic colleagues. So, so the same polls that show her running five, six, seven, eight points behind Governor Kemp also show Senator Warnock three, four, five points ahead or you know, in a, in a dead heat, essentially, with Republican Herschel Walker. So as we go forward, what do you think the most important thing Stacey Abrams needs to do these next three weeks? Because now we're pivoting towards this final stretch that all these voter turnout machines, they're kind of flexing their muscles. And as you mentioned earlier, Republicans have had this deficit. They're trying to catch up. Now's the chance, I guess, for them to show that they've gained this ground. Yeah, I think that Stacey Abrams is going to need to do two things. Number one, I think she needs to um, really hone in for voters that she will be an excellent steward of the economy. The economy simply is the biggest issue in this election. And she is asking voters to 
leave Governor Kemp and come over to her, make a change while the state's economic news is pretty good. You know, extremely low unemployment numbers, very high receipts, uh, a kind of a generally good economy, good environment for business. So she's asking voters to switch horses. And that is a big ask. So she has to be able to convince them the economy will be in great hands with me. And by the way, here are the other things that will be better. I think she needs to paint a really vivid picture for women in particular about what's about to happen as this abortion law gets put into place and investigations and prosecutions and convictions begin. That will be really a whole new era in abortion law in this country and in this state. And she said during her debate Monday night, I will repeal that law. We don't know if she'll have the votes to do that if she were to be governor, but she needs to paint an alternate reality for these voters that is not only comfortable, but convincing and motivating to get them out to the polls. She has dozens of policy proposals. It is very, very hard for somebody of average intellect like myself to keep track of. (laughs) So I think uh, it really would behoove her to narrow down onto two or three issues, one or two issues, abortion, Medicaid expansion. Those are the big ones. Um, Gun safety as well. Those are the top three we see in polling again and again and again. If she can paint an alternate reality that makes voters comfortable and motivated, she can start to get those numbers up. But when you, you know, pointed out the disparity between the polling between her and Raphael Warnock, I was asked about that this morning. I was talking to Michael Smirkanish on um, SiriusXM, and, you know, he fully admits he's coming from outside of the state. He's watching this from the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. And that was his very first question. Well, if the polls are wrong, why is Warnock winning? And so I think it's a tough argument for her to make. And it's an even harder ground to make up because you do have these voters willing to vote Democratic, but also sticking with their incumbents who they're uh, just seem to be more comfortable with right now. You know, and Stacey Abrams brought up those flood of policies at an event in Savannah just the other day that was hosted by the Savannah NAACP. And she made no apologies. She said, look, I have a lot of plans because Georgia needs a lot of work. <laughs> and and she has no problem with talking about all the plans. But, um, you know, it, it is a contrast from Governor Kemp, who, who just this week initiated, he unveiled his criminal justice policies. But aside from that, aside from some tax policies and some modest educational proposals, he hasn't felt the need to go unveil a vast second term agenda. Instead, he's kind of held back. And could that change if the polls show it tightening and he needs to go energize conservatives or or aim for the middle more or, or expand the map as we've written? That might change. But right now, he is holding back. And he doesn't feel like he doesn't have that same sense. They're not complacent, but they don't feel like the same sense of urgency as Stacey Abrams does because he can go point at his first term record rather than say what he'd do in a second term. We're going to see him step up on the campaign trail. In the Senate race, we're seeing Herschel Walker, after the debate, try to get over all these reports about abortions and and all the focus on his past history of violence. These are very significant issues. We're seeing him try to move past it by saying basically one word over and over again, Biden, Biden, Biden. We're also seeing him be the aggressor on the campaign trail rather than playing defense. Not only is he tying Warnock, Senator Warnock, to Joe Biden, but he's also raising questions about his role as the leader of Ebenezer Baptist Church and his links to a foundation that runs apartment buildings for struggling Georgians. Um, we don't want to get all the way into that. We have AJC coverage of all those issues that you can you can rely on. But really, to me, he is throwing some sharper elbows now that his one debate is over. 
Absolutely. You can really see the kind of spring in his step, Herschel Walker, since he had that debate on Friday. It seems to have given him a boost of confidence to get out on the campaign trail, do more public events. When he was speaking to Hannity, he just seemed so much more confident than he had before. And then in come uh, Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Tim Scott, who are Republicans from South Carolina, joining him on stage. And it didn't feel as it did last week, it did not feel like a rescue mission, you know, uh, like a SWAT team coming in to save a struggling campaign. It really felt like two senators sitting next to a colleague who they would be very happy to bring up to D.C. And they made the case right there to say, hey, do you want to know what a Republican Senate looks like? It looks like Tim Scott as the chair of the banking committee instead of Sherrod Brown, who was a very, very progressive senator from Ohio. And it looks like Lindsey Graham to be chair of the budget committee instead of Bernie Sanders. I mean, that's night and day right there. And that is the portrait that they want to paint for Georgia voters. Listen, all of this could be yours if you would just vote for Herschel Walker. And then I think in terms of the Walker campaign, they they believe they have found an issue with Senator Warnock's role at Ebenezer that they can go after. It doesn't have the unfortunate parallel blowback of going after anything having to do with the senator's personal life because Herschel Walker has been accused of that much and more and more and more. He's got just so many accusations in his personal life. They would love not to have to wait around in that territory. Um, But going after Warnock and Ebenezer, I mean, that is DEFCON 1 stuff. That is, we are bringing out all the ammunition and we're going to try and take him down, ideally, without a runoff. To me, this is just a new phase of an incredibly aggressive campaign. It's got millions of dollars behind it from national Republicans. It's got now faces of national Republicans coming in as well to lend their shoulders to the effort to push this boulder up a hill to unseat a sitting U.S. senator. But I think they all feel like after that debate performance on Friday night, they all seem to feel extremely confident. It's just a difference in demeanor and a difference in strategy and approach that they just kind of seem like a different campaign right now than they were than they did even five days ago. And Senator Warnock was on the campaign trail in West Georgia and in Metro Atlanta these past few days. And he is making the pitch to go vote early, obviously, but also to wipe out any chance of a runoff. He's trying to energize Democrats, energize folks who have kind of been on the sidelines, who haven't been paying attention, saying, do this now, (laughs) do this this moment, go vote so we don't have a December runoff. Let's listen to some audio. A runoff was pretty much unavoidable the last time I ran. It's easy to forget because I'm standing here that I had 20 opponents, 20. I ran in something called a jungle primary and they had Democrats and Republicans on the same ballot. So it wasn't, nobody's gonna get over 50%. I ran against 20 opponents then I won in the runoff. But this time, we don't have to have a runoff. We need to bring this thing home on November the 8th. Are you ready to get this thing done? So there we are. We hear that the obviously the Warnock campaign would love to get out of this election without a runoff as well. And he's making that case to his own voters. Y- y'all need to go out and vote soon, early, not often, just early. Make sure you get your votes banked. Um, and he's now in this phase where he is out there um, in his just nonstop get out the vote rallies. He's going to be in Carrollton. He's been all over Atlanta. He has been in Duluth. He's making his way around the metro area. I'm sure very soon he'll be making his way around the rest of the state as well. 
Utah when he was at Georgia State, making the case uh, before a lot of young voters, the exact voters that he wants to be in front of, telling them, you need to come out. And he was also able to make the case to them that he did do something about student loan debt, that he is paying attention to issues that affect them, that affect young people, that affect their communities and affect their futures. And so uh, he got a huge, huge applause there. Lots of enthusiasm out there for Senator Warnock. And it's amazing to watch these two gentlemen go around the state because in so many cases, they are speaking to two kind of totally different worlds of voters, and encouraging them all to get out and cast their votes. But it's going to be that tiny pocket of voters in the middle that it feels like is really going to make the difference. It's those split ticket voters right now, the voters who are telling us right now they're voting for Raphael Warnock and Brian Kemp in their plans. Um, the Walker campaign would love to pull those Republicans over to his camp. That would be the difference between victory and defeat for them. Um, Warnock knows that he needs to keep those voters on his side as well. So he's getting out there just trying to bank every vote that he can as well. He's finally not having to be back and forth to D.C. because the Senate's going to be out of session until after Election Day. So he'll finally, you know, for the first time in a long time, have all 24 hours of his day that he can devote to campaigning and getting around the state trying to bank votes for himself as well. Well, that is about all the time we have for today's show. Coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can call into right now. There's even a new theme song. Janie B., you excited about getting all sorts of calls? You know, calls have been coming in with all these debates going on. People are really interested and have a lot of questions. So we're going to have a busy day on Friday. Yeah, we will. Uh, you can call into that hotline right now, 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Let us hear from you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.